Hi, Foxies. The episode you're trying to listen to is right around the corner, but first, we need your help. You may have noticed that there are no ads during the Fox and the Foxhound. We prefer this, being ad haters ourselves, but we need your help to keep it that way. If you love this show, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. We have Patreon tiers starting at just $1 a month. And not only will you get fun extra content and an unedited cut of every episode two days early, you'll be directly responsible for keeping the show going in all of its ad-free glory. Thanks to all of our existing patrons, past patrons, and hopefully future patrons. Enjoy the episode. So we're opening the show a bit differently for a little while. Hopefully you all know us. We're the Wilsons, and we are reading through the Harry Potter series together, me for the first time. If you want to know more about us and this show, please check out thefoxandthefoxhound.com. We are all living in an unprecedented time. For the first time in our memory, our entire globe is facing a common threat at the same time. We know how easy it is to feel scared and hopeless, like the Dementors are swarming. If you're listening to this, you are part of our extended family. If you need to talk to someone, consider our ears open. If you need us to tell you a terrible joke, all you have to do is ask. We're here for you. At the end of the show, we'll remind you how to contact us. And remember, in the immortal words of Albus Dumbledore, it's the unknown we fear when we look upon death and darkness, nothing more. Well, it's week 732 of quarantine. Yes, I have a beard as long as Dumbledore now. He does not. Down to the ground. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. But we are both getting like a little mullety with our hair. Yeah, it's really a problem. Like, I don't feel like your hair looks bad, but I know it's bothering you. And the reverse is true, too, I think. I think you have told me that you don't think my hair looks bad, but I feel like it's getting really bad. I also hit a place in my life about a year ago where I want my hair to be cut once a month and I want it to be exactly perfect and styled every single day. You became high maintenance. I became super high maintenance with my hair, and now I've just got this scraggly Freaking scraggle haggard hair. Scraggle haggard. Scraggle haggard. It reminds me of like snuffle up, I guess, for some reason. (laughs) Scraggle haggard. Our Zoom hangout is happening. We haven't set a date yet, but we have like a a really cool, solid little handful of people that want to do it. It's not too late for you. If you want to Zoom with us, (laughs) it just makes me laugh every time. Just send us an email and put the word Zoom somewhere in the subject line. We're probably going to do more than one just because, you know, we've got a lot of different time zones and all of that. And I'm thinking this might be something that we just kind of like do for a little while. You're going to have to cut my hair before this Zoom. I cannot have our listeners seeing my mullet. I'll, I'll cut your hair. But you know that everyone is like probably picturing Joe Exotic right now. And that's exactly what they're going to get. not what your hair looks like at all. I'm also dyeing my hair pink whenever my dye arrives. I I saw a wizard and a wizard saw a man. (laughs) That's horrible. I think my dye comes tomorrow. Are you nervous about dyeing my hair pink for me or helping me with it? You're not? No, it's not my hair. Oh, that's, that's a great attitude. Thanks. Well, we're covering two chapters today, as per usual lately. We're covering chapter 19, The Hungarian Horntail, and chapter 20, The First Task. A lot happening. Good chapters. Good chapters. I like these two. 
action-packed. We have so much to discuss. Okay, and I'm reading first. The prospect of talking face-to-face with Sirius was all that sustained Harry over the next fortnight, the only bright spot on a horizon that had never looked darker. The shock of finding himself school champion had worn off slightly now, and the fear of what was facing him was starting to sink in. Congratulations, Harry, she said, beaming at him. I wonder if you could give me a quick word. How you felt facing that dragon? How you feel now about the fairness of the scoring? Yeah, you can have a word, said Harry savagely. Goodbye. And he set off back to the castle with Ron. Freaking mic drop from Harry in that moment. What a sick burn. Rita had it coming. She did. She deserved the sick burn, but nevertheless. Well done, Harry, because Harry, you were not my favorite dude. In these couple of chapters, he's got a couple of really, like, not great moments. Yeah, he's been through a lot. He has. Like, I understand it, but he's still kind of a real dick. So we start off these two chapters with a bit of a time jump. We're two weeks further. Yes. And the general idea is that nothing much has really changed. Like, Harry is still in hell. He's in Hogwarts hell for these two weeks. And on top of... You know, the school kind of turning against him and, you know, these buttons and all of this. He's also starting to really get anxiety about this first task. Yeah, he's so nervous. He's so nervous. He's nervous, number one, for his own safety. But two, he's going to have to perform magic in front of hundreds of other kids. Right. This is like being in a talent show or having to give a speech or something. One you didn't volunteer for. Yeah. Like, that's terrible. Yeah. And you bring up such a good point and something that hadn't really, like, made it into my notes or anything is the fact that, like, there's a couple of moments where Harry's sort of inner observations, one of the times when he's like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll if I see the dragons ahead of time, you know, I realize I'm getting ahead of myself, but if I see the dragons ahead of time, maybe I won't pass out cold in front of everyone. Like, you can kind of see where his priorities are. And this is why I'm so glad that we're reading through this together, because... Someone who is an adult male who remembers being this age as a male, you know, like the things that are important to you are just, I don't have that perspective, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Because like, I wouldn't, don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm not saying that like girls are immune to fearing humiliation. I just think different things humiliate us, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just my take. But yeah, we're two weeks later. Things have not improved. But he is looking forward to talking to Sirius, even though he kind of acknowledges he doesn't necessarily really think Sirius is going to be able to do anything to help him. I think it's more about just like seeing this friendly face, talking to someone who, you know, does not think that he's a liar, someone who has his best interests at heart and someone who loves him unconditionally. But like, yeah, I mean, Harry doesn't think that Sirius is going to have any magic solutions for him. No, this is like calling one of your parents before opening night of the play. Right. I'm so nervous. And they're like, you're going to do fine, honey. You've always done fine. Yeah. Are they going to have like practical advice for you? Like if you called up Becky and you were like, Becky, I'm so nervous for opening night. Do you think she'd be like, well, remember what Igor Romanov said? (laughs) Remember your blocking. (laughs) Remember your blocking. Have you been studying the Meisner techniques that we've been going over? No. But sometimes that encouragement of just be like, you're going to be great is all you need. And that's what he's really looking forward to. Rita's article has come out in these two weeks and it's fake news. Yeah, she says all these things that he didn't say. Yeah. She puts a spin on the article. It's not even about the Triwizard Tournament. It's this expose on this 
poor young Harry. Yeah. And it's schmaltzy. This is like what they did to Diana. Oh, it is. Yeah, we've become like a little bit into Princess Diana documentaries. And, you know, you and I have had interviews and done some like small time local press stuff for plays and things. Yeah. These are like free publications or the newspaper or like our local news, nothing big. And they're generally wonderful to work with. They're so nice. But even they have a tendency to like spin what you say and you're like, that is literally not what I said. Or they take parts of an interview and they bump them together, leaving stuff out of the middle. Now, they've never done anything that we were like pissed. Like, oh my God, they made us look a certain way because that's not their angle. Right. But just in an effort to make good writing, sometimes they've like, piece things together, reworded yeah. things, and it always kind of feels a little gross. Like, damn it, man, couldn't you just say what I said? It's so true. I have a perfect example. So a fellow cast member, Brett, and I were on a local news station promoting Puffs the week it opened. And if I don't know if you guys know that. I actually don't remember if I talked about this on the show. But our run, which was supposed to be three weeks, got shortened to one. We had one week of a run. And so this was leading up to opening night. So obviously this was during a time when like we thought we were still going to have our full run at that time, but we were interviewed by a local newscaster who she's really great at her job. She's really great. But like we ended up talking about the coronavirus. Let me let me give you this is not a 20 minute interview. This is like a I think it's two minute spot that they do about local productions that are coming up and opening usually that week. And I mean, it was, I left there and Brett was like, didn't think I was going to have to really talk about the coronavirus while talking about the show about Hufflepuff House, like what in the hell. So yeah, even with the questions that are asked, and then of course, if it's anything in print, yeah, I mean, like they can kind of splice things together however they want. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, it's, it highlights only Harry. Another thing that reminded me, I made a note that it reminds me of the theater world, but for a different reason. This article doesn't mention Cedric Diggory at all. How many times have you been in a show, you've worked your ass off, you've gone to rehearsal four or five nights a week, you've learned your blocking, you've learned your lines, you're not getting paid for any of this. You're so proud of the show. You might even have a really sizable part and the review comes out and you're literally not mentioned. (laughs) Like, not brought up at all. Or the equivalent, which would be so-and-so who's also in the show. (laughs) Like, but no comment whatsoever on your performance. You know, nothing. Those are the worst. Now, as I sit here, this is easy for me to say, but I'd rather have a bad review than, like, not get mentioned. It's the worst. It's like you were just forgettable. You were just so forgettable. Like, at least if I was terrible... You'll remember me. (laughs) So poor Cedric is literally not mentioned at all. And the other two are kind of these like footnotes. But Cedric's just left out of it. It's because it's sensationalism. They want to play on your emotions. Yes. It's like, I mean, the media nowadays, which is why I've just stopped looking at the news. I give myself 20 minutes every Thursday. Yep. And that's it. And I think even after this thing, I'm going to that. Yes. You get 20 minutes of my time once a week. In 20 minutes, I can catch up on everything that is pertinent into national news. And now if I want to dig into other small things, I can go to reputable journals and that type of stuff. 
but it's all sensationalist. Absolutely. Even the stuff that's not quote unquote fake news. Right. It's just what they choose to play on your emotions. Yeah. You know, like something that recently pissed me off was that our local news station, which I really love, they put out this article like a week ago that said meteorologists predicting particularly active hurricane season. Yep. With everything that's going on right now, like we're all traumatized from the past two years of hurricanes where we've had to leave our homes and there's been loss of life and the hurricane season has become so active every year now that it's a real, real concern for us. It causes a lot of anxiety towards the end of the summer when hurricane season comes up. And because there's so much going on right now, people have said to each other, Jesus, let us not have an active hurricane season. That's like all we need on top of this virus and everything else. Like the choice to put that is not helpful. No. It was just to bait people into going, oh my God, here's another thing we have to worry about. Let me click it so I can see the ads. To evoke an emotion. Tasteless. It's tasteless. So like A, you say this every year. Every year is an active hurricane season. And B, read the room, man. Yeah. Like read the collective room. Tasteless. I agree. That's a perfect word for it. Not okay. Another thing that Rita's article mentions is that Harry is dating stunningly pretty Hermione Granger, which of course we know is not true. They're not dating. So like it's it's not just schmaltz. It's also just incorrect. It's just fabrication. But it also opens Hermione up to mocking as well. Like before it was kind of just like Harry was the target. And now Hermione's opened up to like Pansy Parkinson is like her stunningly pretty what she comparing her to a chipmunk or something like first of all, oh, good one, Pansy. But it's unfair, the collateral kind of damage of this woman's quill. And what can you do? You can, what are you going to do? Complain to them? They'll say, sorry, it's out there now. You agreed to the interview. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's say that you have a lot of money and a lawyer. You're going to sue them for slander. It doesn't matter. The article's already out there. The best thing that you could possibly get out of it is maybe by suing them or something, they can post a retraction. Right. And say, hey, this article from three months ago that literally no one remembers, we said this stuff, that wasn't exactly the truth, and no one will read that anyway. Yeah. So they have a lot of power. The media has so much power because once it's out there, It's out there. There's nothing you can do about it. It's done. It lives forever. During this time, things with Ron are still not good. There's ongoing kind of like Ron shit, right? This article that came out where Harry was sort of feeling like, "Mm, maybe maybe we're getting closer to like all of this blowing over. The article comes out and... In Harry's view, it confirmed Ron's belief that he did all of this for the attention. You know, and it really kind of sucks that Ron would default to reading that and assuming that those were Harry's words and that he like actually gave that interview. It sucks that he assumes that, but he was already mad at him. So it's like, you know, if they weren't already in a fight, you know, Ron would have been like, oh, that's rubbish, mate. You know, like, that's a terrible, (laughs) terrible moment that I just had. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I just had a British accent for an entire play a month ago. It was better than that, I promise. When I was a kid, (laughs) my brother and I really loved the Velveteen Rabbit. Not to be confused with Velvet Boy. Right. 
the book, The Velveteen Rabbit. Yes, it makes me and really And there sad. was either a cartoon or something, a reading of it, but it was in a British accent. And it said, and they threw him away like a piece of rubbish. And we thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Rubbish. We yeah, because we don't, that's not really a word we use. We also have these conversations with Harry and Hermione. One moment that I have in my notes is that Harry is like, fine, I'll talk to Ron if he admits that I didn't put my name in the goblet and he apologizes for calling me a liar. Like he's got these terms. He's like, I'm not talking to him unless he does those things. And Hermione is just so trying to be the peacemaker. I feel so frustrated for her during these two chapters dealing with Harry or especially this chapter dealing with Harry because it's like this isn't a contract negotiation bruh like these are human beings you're a human being and Ron's a human being and you can't have this if this and this happens only then will I do this this kind of conditional shit and we've talked about it as part of marriage lessons in the past it's just a bunch of bull and they're children yeah so I had a little crew when I was growing up there were three of us three friends that hung out in my grandma's neighborhood all the time. And we skateboarded and we were thick as thieves. I mean, we spent all day, every day together. I don't remember what happened, but me and one of the other friends super pissed off our third friend. Uh-oh. Like bad. Uh-oh. And he would not talk to us. Yikes. He refused to hang out with us. He refused to talk to us. And it was so much like this split. With the Harry, Ron, Hermione weird thing. Yeah. And so me and the guy that we're like, we were friends with, we're kind of like, what's the big deal? Why is he blowing this out of proportion? This is crap. Right. And then as time went on, we tried to like reach out to him and he basically was like, screw you. I'm not freaking reaching out to you, you know, and we eventually got it all back together, but it took some work. Like, and we were about these kids age. We were about 12, 13 years old. But it was a super painful time, Yeah, I remember, because I remember all of us were really, really hurt, and we were all really angry. Yeah, And so I think we need to remember that this isn't just like a spat amongst kids. Like, these yeah. kids are old enough to have real pain from, like, having this friendship interrupted. Absolutely. For sure. I mean, as always, you have a, a much more kind of charitable view. I think that's a good thing. I think it's helpful. And so Hermione and Harry (laughs) are spending some time in the library. Yeah. What did you notice about that time? Well, for one thing, Victor Crumb is in the library every day. Yeah. Studying the crap out of something. Yeah. We're assuming something to help him with the Triwizard Tournament. Sure. Because they don't have to take the owls. No, they have no tests this year. Yeah. (laughs) Because fuck education. And there are like these giggling girls that follow him everywhere yeah and that pisses Hermione off because then you can't concentrate exactly then it's time for another trip to Hogsmeade I think like sometimes it's easy to forget in these books that like Hogsmeade weekends are still a thing because it was like such a big part of the plot in the third book that I get to this in Goblet of Fire every time and I'm like oh yeah Hogsmeade weekends that's like a consistent thing once you're past third year and if you go to Hogwarts for any reason as a visitor you're going to stay in Hogsmeade yeah. It is the, presumably the closest village to the school. Definitely. So, you know, you're a visiting dignitary or something. That's You're going to be at the embassy suites in Definite, Hogsmeade. Definitely. Yes, the embassy Nice suites. property, by the so way. So good. They have, like, the best continental breakfast. Harry, at first, kind of, like, doesn't really want to go, but he's like, fine, I'll go. Like, here he continues with these conditions. I'll go if I can be under the invisibility cloak. Okay, Harry. And Hermione is just like be patient he's hurting like 
fuck my life. You know, she's like, fine. All right. Bring your invisibility cloak. I will look like I'm talking to myself the whole time. But yeah. sure. Great. Absolutely. Like the sacrifices that she makes for this young man during this chapter are incredible to me. She's so patient with him. They end up at the three broomsticks and Hermione just kind of like brings out her spew binder and, you know, she's going to do some stuff because it looks like she's sitting there alone. Now, I have no problem with going to a restaurant by myself. I don't feel self-conscious about that, but I do need something to do. Like what kind of psychopath goes to a restaurant and just sits there and eats and doesn't do anything? By Everyone pre-phone. I know. And I can see why during that time there was a lot of anxiety about like going to a restaurant and eating by yourself. Like people wouldn't do that. Now people do that all the time. But yeah, so Hermione doesn't have a smartphone, but luckily she has her spew stuff to work on. One interesting thing is she says to Harry, you know, maybe it's time for a little bit more direct action. Maybe it's time to like find a way to get down into the kitchens. I'm like, what is she going to do? What is her direct action? Right. I mean, she can't like sabotage the kitchen. Like, is she going to free the house elves? Like, what is her plan here? <laughs> she's got like, she's tying like the Rambo bandana around her head and she's, she's going to chain herself the... to the oven or yes, something. I know. This yeah. is like the woman in our town who chained herself to the flagpole when I was a kid. I don't, I don't know this story. There's this gas station. This is on uh, New Center in college. Yeah. There's like a little gas station right there. There used to be. And they had one of these huge American flags. And at the time, the city said, hey, this breaks the code for how big a billboard or a flag can be. This is like huge. You know, listeners who are not in America, we are really big on flying the shit out of our giant flag. It's weird. Everywhere. <laughs> Trust me, we think it's weird. Every too. <laughs> gas station, every car lot. And it's like, how big can we feasibly get this flag to see how Fucking America, we can possibly Seems be. like a few people are really concerned about size. And this woman who was considered herself a patriotic person was like, no, this is bullshit. You're not taking this giant flag down because America. And so she chained herself to the flagpole. But she chained herself there for days. So she had this little trailer. Stop it. They brought this little trailer for her to live in, like a movie star trailer. No. With the chain around her leg, which would go into, and she would sleep there at night. And then she would come out during the day and do interviews. And there was lots of press and people would come out there and support her with their own American flags and all this stuff. That's it was like bullshit. a big media stunt, but it worked. They kept the flag, and now, oh like, God. it's now there's flags even bigger than that all over town. Okay, but listen, if I had been a taxpaying citizen at that time, I would have been like, no, 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 no. Not a dime of my taxes is going to go to this nut job who wants to save a flag when there's another one six feet away from her. <laughs> like, fuck you. Oh, that's that was not the local sentiment. The local sentiment was like, good for her. She speaks for all of us. Like, don't ever take down the flag. It can't be too big. There's no such thing Sorry. as too big. I would have been Hermione in this moment. <laughs> I would have been like, um, excuse me. No, excuse she me. was Hermione. No, no. This I was direct be, action. I would not compare her to Hermione in this moment. I do like your observation, though, of noticing this kind of one little line because Hermione is not content to just like have people sign and like have the button. Like this reminds me of like the Livestrong bracelets. You remember when that was a thing? Yeah. And people would wear these yellow Livestrong bracelets and it's like, OK, but what are you like? What are you doing for cancer research? Like, are, are, are you like what, what is your statement? What's here? your statement? But yeah. it's like 
and I'm not saying everyone wore the bracelet for this reason, but so many people, at least where I was, were wearing that bracelet because it was just like the cool thing to wear at the time, which is unfathomable. And then when it came out that your boy was doping the whole time, it was awkward. Yeah. 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 You did beat cancer. And that's amazing. That's great. But you also are not the greatest athlete of all time. No. You just are like on a bunch of drugs. Also, like, I'm pretty sure he cheated on Cheryl Crow, which is unforgivable. <laughs> Love Cheryl Crow. Where is Cheryl Crow? Her and Kid Rock are hanging out or something. I don't know. <laughs> I hate that. Cheryl, song. <laughs> if you're listening, call us. Call us. Let We're us know worried you're about okay. you. <laughs> Another moment I really like in The Three Broomsticks is that Ron is sitting with Fred and George and Lee Jordan. And Lee is the twins' friend. Mm -hmm. But remember that the twins and Lee are older than Ron. And when you were this age, I mean, I know like my older brother is four years older than me. Well, one of my older brothers is four years older than me. And like when I was 13, he did not, understandably, did not want me anywhere near him and his friends. And Fred and George, you know, they kind of, they poke fun at Ron. They haven't been super inclusive of him in the past. But when he needs it, they're like, come sit with us. That was my brother. I love this moment. Yeah. And it did make me think about you and your brother, especially with like a brother to brother relationship. And what you've told me about like the stories of you guys growing up. But like, if you were in a moment of need you know your brother would have been like, absolutely, come sit with me and my friends. I don't care if you're younger and you say some, like, embarrassing yeah. shit. I don't care. Come sit with us. He did do that. He literally did do that. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so nice. Harry is really being a dick to Hermione here, by the way. She's going through her, maybe it's time for more direct action thing. And he is like, I don't know if this is the moment when he tells her to shut up. I think it's later that he tells her to shut up. But he essentially tells her to shut up. It's like, dude, you're under an invisibility cloak right now. You shut up. Hiding from your fellow students. Hiding from your fellow students. Yes, there's a reason for that. And I really do have some understanding for Harry. But like, I also really think that Harry could use some coping skills. He's sitting under there ruminating about how fun all of this would be if it wasn't him. I think that that's really interesting, too, because he's anxious about it because he's worried about his safety. And I just think it's interesting that he's like, well, if it wasn't me, this would be the funnest thing ever. It's like, okay, but there would still be three people in physical danger. (laughs) Well, I think he's looking at it as the same way as when you get really nervous about something. He's like, if my name hadn't gone in, I could have been here with my Go Cedric button on. I could be a part of the Cedric fan club and rooting for my school. And I could participate in the fun without all this freaking pressure and weight on me right now. And I wouldn't be hiding underneath my cloak. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the social pressure and all of that. But it's also like I think it's his fear for his safety. And and there's, I think, a very 13-year-old view of that, which is I'm fine with the danger to physical safety as long as it's not my ass. You know, and and I get it. It's not cruel, but it's it's a little selfish. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So Haggard's in the bar yeah. with his big old fat mug of ale, which always sounds so good. So like I just good. want a big old giant mug of ale, like which style. I do drink some ale when I go to the Wizarding World. Absolutely, as you if should. If it's 10 a.m. <laughs> when I walk into Diagon Alley, I'm like, let me go get a Stella. <laughs> yeah. Right now, because I want to be beer buzzed by 11. I'm all about that fire whiskey in Wizarding World, which is cider, the alcohol cider, with fireball whiskey, which I would never drink on its own. But with cider, oh, 
It's so good. Oh, there's something about being beer buzzed in Diagon Alley and Ooh. sitting down and watching a show or like flicking your wand around. It's just so much fun. I, d- I didn't know what you were going to be flicking. It, uh, that scared me for a second. Before you I can't wait wand. to go back having known what the hell all this stuff means. I know. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait for you to go back. I'm going to be like, oh my God, I know what that is. Oh God, I know what that is now. I will caution all of you though. Do not get ale and fire whiskeys and all of that pre-forbidden journey or any other ride at universal that has the screen based thing because you will vom you will vom you will vom in the theme park and amusement park world they call that a protein spill that makes me want to vom right now so that's ironic so Hagger's getting turned, yeah, and he's in there with moody yeah and moody walks by and (laughs) it's just like yo what up harry potter (laughs) And that eye can see through the invisibility cloak. It can. And Harry says, wait, so can that eye see through the invisibility cloak? And here's something I found to be very interesting. Ooh, tell me. Moody says, yes, and it has come in handy at times. Ooh. What? Little, little aside there. Now I'm like, has Moody seen Harry in the invisibility cloak? Has Moody been at Hogsmeade when Harry was sneaking around Hogsmeade? What about the night of the shack? Like all of these invisibility cloak times. Right. Also makes me think about the invisibility cloak belonged to Harry's father, James. Right. Did he see James doing some shady shit? Like selling weed out of the invisibility cloak? (laughs) James Potter did not sell weed out of the invisibility cloak. I don't know. I haven't finished the series yet. Well, that's one thing I can tell you is not a direction. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. James Potter was a weed slinger. No. But that is a really good observation and a good question. We don't know, you know, how connected or, or interwoven Moody has been in the story up until this point, which is one of the really cool things about having this story being told from the kid's perspective, because the adults kind of float in and out. And sometimes you find out things about those adults that were happening way back here that you just didn't know because the kids didn't see it happening. And we just see what the kids see happening. It's such a cool idea. Now, Hackard cannot see through the invisibility cloak. No. Obviously, because he doesn't have a weird eye. Right. But he knows Harry's there. And he leans down and is like, hey, Harry, meet me at the hut at midnight. Yeah. Harry's like, okay, well, this is the same night I'm supposed to talk to Sirius at one. So Harry's got quite a a tight schedule or schedule, as it were. Quite a tight schedule. Schedule. It's going to be cutting it close. And, you know, Hermione's like, "Eh, send send Hedwig down there and tell Hagrid you can't make it. But I feel like there's kind of a voice in Harry's head going, "Mm, this is unusual even for Hagrid to ask me to meet him at midnight knowing I'm not allowed to leave the school. Like, this is probably important. And Hagrid says, wear the invisibility cloak. Yeah. So did you have any idea before you kind of figure out what this was? Did you have any idea like what he was going to be talking to him about? I mean, I thought it was something having to do with the Triwizard Tournament. I thought he was going to tell him, hey, just wanted to let you know something about the first task. Yeah. Well, and you were correct. Yeah. So he gets down there and Hagrid kind of immediately also goes and, and, and grabs your girl Maxime. Yeah. Who, like, has her little shawl. And she calls him Agrid. Oh, I love her. And he says to her, Bonsoir. He's trying to say bonsoir. Bonsoir. Which means good evening, right? Yeah. 
Oh my God. One thing we did not really get a handle on in Paris is at what time of day you go from bonjour to bonsoir. <laughs> it's like after the sun goes down-ish, kind of. I don't know. They start walking away. And Harry, it's like, okay, well, I, I, you know, Hagrid didn't give me a lot of directions here, but I guess I'm just going to follow them. And remember, these are two very large people. So poor Harry, who's like, you know, very average, kind of a small little guy, has to run <laughs> to keep up with them. Also, he's managing a cloak over his head. Like, can you imagine? I would never be able to run with a piece of fabric draped from my head down to my feet. Do you know how many times I would fall on my face? This is us walking anywhere. What do you mean? You always oh. say easy, long strides. Yeah. Yeah. Because my natural walk is about twice as fast as your natural walk Easily. because my legs are longer. Easily twice as fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And he doesn't do it on purpose. It's just you walk the pace you're used to walking. So they round the corner and yeah. kind of in this little spot behind the woods because you imagine the hut is next to the forbidden forest. Everything's kind of wooded around there. Yeah. There are four dragons. Yeah. In this pen and like 30 plus wizards. Yeah. Who were kind of trying to keep these dragons at bay. And the dragons are blowing freaking smoke and whipping their tails around and stuff. Yeah. And I guess the wizards are kind of practicing how to subdue yeah. the dragons. Like put them under a sleeping spell, chill them out, that type of thing. Well, and I, I also have always gotten the impression too that the dragons have just arrived. So part of it is that they're kind of unloading them. Mm -hmm. And Charlie Weasley is there because remember, he's a dragon tamer yeah. in Romania. But let me tell you, this um, this whole scene, I'm going to quote our dear friend Grace. And I, she constantly tells me this wasn't my quote. She's a lot younger than us. And so she like has a lot of the cool lingo. And she said she got it from TikTok or something. But it made me very uncomfy. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally hear her saying that. Uncomfy. Very uncomfy. <laughs> um, I did not like this sequence because they, I get it. Like, maybe my whole issue with it is that the dragon sh just should not have been the task in the first place. But I mean, they have like, they're hitting it with stunning spells. Like, they're falling to the ground really hard. They've got chains around their neck. Like, it's just really kind of gross. Oh, what do you know? They're abusing animals at Hogwarts. What I'm shocked. Know? Exactly. Yeah. It's ooh, uncomfortable. Yeah. The next dark arts teacher is going to be the Bhagavan Don Antle. <laughs> How many episodes in a row can we bring up Tiger King? It's a challenge. I accept it. Charlie also mentions to Hagrid, and remember, no one knows that Harry's there except for Hagrid. Oh, my God. My mom is so worried. And then he, like, does this impression of his mom, which, like, Charlie, come on, man. Your mother is a saint. But he basically says, like, that she read the article and was like, I didn't know he still cried about his parents, which just pisses Harry off even more. And also like, Molly, come on, man. Like, let's stop believing everything we read. Yeah. But still. And this is not just a group of dragons. These right. are angry dragon mothers. Yeah. So that's the other part that makes me really uncomfy. And part of it is because one of my lines in Puffs was, and that my friend's is how four dragons were tricked into believing one of their children had been stolen from them. No. It's really awful. It looks like what they did was pulled the mothers away from their eggs and then later on at the tournament give them fake eggs to protect. They gave them a golden egg in with... Now, I don't know if the eggs were fake or not. I hope they were because during the first task, 
one of them, the one that Victor faces, tramples all the other eggs. But, you know, when you end up getting the egg, it has this message inside. Yeah. There's no way that the contestants could know which eggs had the message and which didn't. So they would have had to have all been fake and had a message in them, right? Well, no. There was a golden egg, and then there were non-golden eggs. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the golden egg was in among Jesus. Maybe there were real dragon babies in those eggs? I don't know. Because I found a golden ticket. I found a dragon baby. Anywho, Charlie also, by the way, makes a little aside to Hagrid about, I've counted these eggs, Hagrid. Oh, so that that answers our question, actually. There are dragon babies in them. Because Charlie's like, Hagrid, I've counted these. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, Hagrid, I know you have this propensity to fall in love with dragons, and he yes. wants a dragon more than anything. Yes. If, if, if one of these bitches is missing, I'm looking at you. Because he lost his little dragon, um, Smirnoff. What's his name? Norbert. Norbert. Smirnoff? Yeah. Why? <laughs> Norbert. Norbert, hun. So Harry has to rush his ass back. He does. Because he's got this. He's going to zoom with. (laughs) He's zooming with Sirius. (laughs) At one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And he comes back into the common room and thank God everything's empty. Everyone has gone to bed. Now Hermione said if people were still in the common room, she would drop these shit bombs to make everything smell like poop so that they would leave. But he walks in, it doesn't smell like poop. So clearly (laughs) everyone just went to bed. I I can't not giggle at the word poop. (laughs) So he sits down and the fire phone rings and Sirius's head pops up in the fire. Hello, Harry. Can you hear me? Can you hear? Can you hear me? No, you got to turn your mic on. You have to turn turn your your mic. on. Okay. Unmute yourself. How can I see everyone? You just swipe to the left. You go to gallery view. Gallery view. But I can right now I can see you, Amanda, but I can't see Tom. Right. Because it's on active speaker mode. So you have to go to gallery view. Okay, wait a second. Wait a second. So swipe. Which way do I swipe? What did you say it was called? Gallery mode? Gallery view. Yeah, see, I only see half of your face right now. I can see you, but I can't hear you. <laughs> I'm like, these are the conversations we're having every day. Yeah, this is Zoom crisis. This is Zoom crisis. Because remember, too, I'm also using Zoom for work. So I have these supervision groups, and I'll have like 13 or 14 people in the group. And inevitably, there's always like one person who's like, how do I see everyone? Now that we're on like the third week, everyone's kind of getting it. But yeah, it's not that hard, people. So we get a lot of freaking information from Sirius. Yes, we do. And Sirius is like, listen, I need to get this out to you really freaking quick. Give me the rundown. Yes. He gives him the rundown. First of all, Harry has suspected or actually been told by Moody that someone might have put his name in the Goblet of Fire because he wants him to participate in the tournament so that he can be killed. Right. Sirius says, good idea. BT Dub Karkaroff was a death eater. Yeah. Now, doesn't that change the freaking game? It does. It really Moody does. Moody put Karkaroff in Azkaban. When Moody was like rounding up death eaters back yep. in the days, he's the one that like prosecuted Moody and put him in Azkaban. Yep. Karkaroff made a deal with the Ministry of Magic, basically like people do with the FBI, mm-hmm. ratted a bunch of other wizards out, a bunch of other dark wizards, possibly other Death Eaters, yeah. so that he could cut his sentence a little bit short and get out of Azkaban. Yep. The night that Moody supposedly freaked out about nothing at his house and the trash can lids were flying around and Arthur Weasley showed up yeah. and that kind of got into the press and everything. According to Sirius, that could have possibly been Karkaroff coming to attack Moody to prevent him 
from starting his new job at Hogwarts the next day. Right. Which makes us think the whole reason that Dumbledore hires Mad-Eye Moody to mm-hmm. be the defense against the dark arts teacher pre-Triwizard Tournament right. is because he's an R. Mm-hmm. And he knows Karkaroff is going to be here. It's, this is all like, damn it, Dumbledore. You know all this stuff's going on. Why invite these people into your school? He's such a chess master, the freaking puppet master. Yeah. The Death Eaters are active. It seems like they've become a little bit more active. There's some, like the FBI, there's some activity. We've been watching McMillions on Hulu, <laughs> so we're really into like FBI takedowns exactly. and stuff right now. Yes. And there seems to be some activity yeah some buzz going around i mean the death eaters showed up in public at the big um quidditch match yep they put the death sign the doc mock the doc mag in the sky and all this stuff then he drops the bomb look bertha jorkins yeah was in albania Mm -hmm. right when she disappeared Mm -hmm. voldemort was supposedly also hiding in albania Mm. and it's like hmm could Bertha have, like, told Voldemort about the Triwizard Tournament? And he's like, listen, Bertha's a fucking idiot. Yeah. Okay? I was at school with her. She's a good person. Yeah. She's a total moron. Yeah. She would have just, like, let this slide or whatever. Yeah. And he also mentions because she worked for the ministry, she would have known about it. And then he says, Harry, this is all you have to remember for your first task. You need to just use a really simple spell like, boom, Ron in- enters and Sirius just disappears from the phone call. Damn it. (laughs) Does that wrap it all up? It does. Yeah, I think you covered all the high points. I mean, you know, the biggest thing, Kargaroff, former Death Eater, and he snitched. And he's not a popular fellow in Azkaban. Like, because all of this happened during Sirius's time in Azkaban. So Sirius observed Kargaroff in Azkaban initially. And then he observed the period of time when Kargaroff was making this deal and turning people in. And then he observed after Karkarov's release and the sentiment surrounding him among the remaining Azkaban prisoners. So, like, Mm -hmm. Sirius has a very good read about, like, what Karkarov's popularity level is right now. He became a CI, basically, which is a confidential informant. And in the muggle world, in our world, like, we have to every client who comes to the place where I work to get therapy services has to sign something saying they're not a CI because it's the one time we can refuse to see someone is if they're a CI. Wow. Why is that? Because the rest of the clients will feel very unsafe. You know, a lot of our folks are dealing with substance use and addiction. And so a lot of them are also in the dealing world as well. Yeah. You know, obviously. So being so, a CI is, is a very dangerous thing, and it also makes you very unpopular. Yeah. So Ronald comes in, and Harry is freaking harsh. Oh, he's really like, harsh. He's so harsh at him that he throws one of, the ba- one of the badges. He's so harsh to him that he throws one of the badges and hits him in the forehead. He assaults Ron. He assaults Ron. And then says, there, maybe you'll have a scar. That's all you ever wanted, isn't it? Damn. Oh, man. Yeah, you just want to be like me anyway. <gasps> See how it is, jealous boy. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, there's a, in my view, there are a few things going on here. Harry's already had this simmering pit of despair, right? Already for the past couple of weeks, he's been in hell. Then 
His anxiety is increasing. He has had a couple of moments up until this point where he thought things were going to be okay with Ron and then they weren't. So he's got disappointment in the mix there, which I think is just renewing his rage at the initial, you know, kind of fight in the first place. Then had this kind of probably dopamine rush of being about to get something that was going to maybe ease his anxiety. And Ron is the reason he didn't get the piece of advice. Yeah, It's a perfect storm, emotionally speaking. Take it from me. I'm a professional. It's a perfect storm for someone to really lash out at another person. I think this Harry Ron situation is kind of how like the Tupac Biggie thing went down. Because they were young. They were buddies. They had a little falling out. They tried to repair it, but they couldn't. The people yeah. around them were not being helpful and saying, hey, you guys need to resolve this. I'm sure some people were, but right. some people were like, man, fuck that guy. Putting batteries in it. Putting their batteries back. in yeah. their back, as I like to say. Yeah. And it just escalated, escalated, escalated until two 27-year-old kids are dead. Exactly. Yeah. Which, I, like, as a 41-year-old man, now I consider 27-year-old kids for some reason. Ew, whippersnappers. It's only five, six years younger than me. I don't know how old I am. How old am I? Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Great. And it also called to mind this phrase that... You know, I don't know if this is just something that's used a lot in the recovery community or if it's just something that's used a lot, but it's hurt people, hurt people. Right. I've yeah, always heard that. Absolutely. And and I think this is definitely um, an example of that for sure. I mean, Harry is so broken and hurt in this moment. And so what does he want to do? He wants to hurt somebody else. Again, he needs some coping skills. And it's different too. like what you mentioned at the beginning of the episode is that these are two boys. Yeah. Boys being mad at each other and boys resolving things is different from girls resolving things. Definitely. Because boys, the escalation is eventually going to move to violence. Yeah. Females, it doesn't seem to always be the case. No, not always. You're just going to cut each other off. Like, when I was growing up, two girls would get so mad at each other that one or both of them would start crying. Yeah. And that vulnerability would sometimes open the door to reconciliation between the two. Definitely. Now, with guys, it's like... You know, okay, now we're not talking. Right. Okay, I heard he talks shit. Mm-hmm. Now I'm talking shit to your face. Mm-hmm. Now I'm punching you in your face. Like, the escalation yeah. is so harsh, I feel like, with young males. I guess I also kind of feel like it takes more to lead to a rift among young boys than it does for girls. But I think girls resolve it faster. Yeah. That's kind of always been my read. At least that was my experience. Yeah, mine too. And this is definitely a peak with Harry and Ron. It's it's really harsh. And that's how that chapter wraps up. You know, it's, it's Harry's not in a great place at the end of this chapter and really not a great chapter for Harry in a lot of ways. When Ron just goes back to bed, oh. I'm so sad. Like I'm like, I oh, know. my God, he just got hit in the head. Yeah. Like when he got hit in the head by that badge, he would have been totally justified of running across the common room and just decking Harry. Yeah. He also knows Harry can kick his ass with a wand. Definitely. Definitely. You know, Ron is, I think, someone who at this point doesn't, he doesn't really know what his strengths are. He doesn't really have any clear strengths. Like, well, at least he's better at this than Harry. He's got nothing, you know? I love Ron. I, I'm a big fan of Ron. Me and, too. You know, I my voice goes up in pitch because I feel defensive about Ron. Ron's like not the most popular character in the series. A lot of people really dislike Ron Weasley. But, you know, I, I think that he makes a lot of decisions that are really mature. 
And this is one of them was just turning and walking away. It's very sad, but it's also the mature thing to do. And remember, he came down there in the first place because, I mean, he doesn't explicitly say this because Harry cuts him off, or I guess he cuts himself off. But Ron came down in the first place because he was, I th- he was worried about Harry. He noticed Harry yeah. wasn't in bed and didn't know where he was. And he was worried about him. So he went looking for him. Harry's who we wish we were. Ron is who we actually are. Absolutely. And I'm totally okay with that. I don't know that I wish to be Harry in this moment. I think that JK really does a great job of always providing balance for us. Yeah. And always giving us a normal person perspective. So that you always, for every Harry, there's a Ron. Yeah. There's always a Neville. Mm-hmm. There's always someone who is kind of, it's like in comedy. You have like the funny guy and then you have like the straight man. Yeah. You know, the good cop, bad cop type the of formula. situation. Yeah. There's this balance that she gives to remind us to not get so haughty. Yeah. To realize what it's like to be a normal non-famous, non-super-magical hero guy. Well, and I think it also is always going to give you someone to relate to in that moment. I mean, in this chapter, I definitely feel very drawn and related to Hermione because I'm so uncomfortable when people around me aren't getting along and all I want to do is fix it. You know, probably to an extent that is less healthy than the way Hermione is dealing with it. But like you're always going to have that person that you you relate to the most. And thus far, none of Harry's success would have come without the help from his friends. Absolutely not. If it wasn't for, if you take Ron and Hermione out of this story, Harry would be dead already. Absolutely. You have no story without them. He would a thousand percent be dead. And I think that's true of all of our lives. I know that's true of my life. If I didn't have friends, I would probably be dead right now. Or I would be a total jerk. Or I would just be something other than who I am. Yeah. This is a heartbreaking moment. I mean, even during this whole virus time, what has really gotten me through, besides my beautiful wife and the writings of JK, um, has been my friends. So we move into chapter 20, the first task. The first task. So the only bit of information Harry has is that he needs to use a quote-unquote simple spell. Right. So... Hermione's go-to for everything is back to the library. Of course. La biblioteca. La biblioteca. So they go to the library and they're looking at simple spells. Like, what are the simple spells that you can use with dragons? Yeah, like maybe we're overthinking this or... They, you know, take some laps around the lake and they're they're kind of talking through every spell they know, which, by the way, they've only completed like three and a quarter years of school. They don't know that many spells. You know, Harry's really at a disadvantage to the other champions who are a lot older than him and have had more education than him. But they are just coming up empty. And by the way, one of the books they consult is Men Who Love Dragons Too Much. Um, how much is too much? I, I, what What do we mean? I, I don't know. Made me think about Haggard. Yeah, but I mean, I got, I got some weird implications from this book title that didn't apply to Hagrid. What if this is like hope. people who fall in love with like a building? Right, right. Like men who love dragons too much. Ooh, I don't know. It's a little. It makes me uncomfy. Mm. <laughs> So who else happens to be in the library? 
Oh, VK. VK. Right. VK's in there studying, and Hermione says, let's go ahead and move because you know his little goof troop of groupies is going to come in here and be giggling and squealing all around him. Mm-hmm. And it's going to piss me off. Goof troop. <laughs> so let's move somewhere else. So they do their thing in the library. They don't really come up with a whole lot. No. But then we have a really cool moment. I love this. Where HP sees Cedric. <laughs> And it's like, I need to get Cedric by himself. Mm -hmm. I know that the first task is dragons. Clearly, Madame Maxime has told Fleur. Mm -hmm. Clearly, Karkaroff has told Victor. Right. Victor's probably doing the same thing in the library. Probably so. We didn't mention this, but Harry runs into Karkaroff on his way back from Hagrid's under the invisibility cloak. So he knows that Karkaroff saw the dragon. He bumps into him. Yeah. But he's in the invisibility cloak. So Karkaroff is looking around thinking like an animal bumped into him or something. Right. And he wants to tell Cedric, this isn't fair that all of us have this leg up and Cedric doesn't know it. So he does a spell that makes Cedric's book bag, his satchel, rip rip open and all of his crap pours out. And he tells his friends, you guys go ahead. Let me just pick up my stuff. So as Cedric's picking his stuff up, Harry's like, hey, Ced, it's dragons. Cedric's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, what, what, what? The the first task is dragons. He's like, why are you telling me this? He said, it's only fair. Yeah. We all know about it. You don't know about it. It's dragons. And the color just disappears from Cedric's face. It's dragons, bro. Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Like, thanks for telling me, but also, fuck my life right now. But another great moment of integrity from Harry Potter right He needed one after the last chapter. Let's just be frank. But yeah, I mean, Cedric is a little suspicious. Like, why are you telling me this? You know, and and it just, it's very much, it's what Harry would do. There's no other option. Yeah. Moody pops into the hallway. Yeah. And he's like, oh shit, I wonder if Moody saw me do that, which he totally did. Moody's like, hey, that was a pretty good idea. Yeah. What you did there. Solid move. Solid Um, bro move. Come into my office. Yeah. Step into my office. There's a lot of like teachers pulling kids into private meetings in their office that I think is a little inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, also like Harry's supposed to be in class right now. So at the very least, Moody is deliberately interfering with Harry and his, you know, already kind of limited education this year since he's not <laughs> yeah. being tested on anything. Uh, it doesn't matter. He doesn't have to take the owls anyways. Yeah. So they go into Moody's office and Harry's looking around. Now he's been in this office before. Because the magician guy used to be in this Lockhart, office. Hun, Lockhart, hun. They're all magicians. I don't really know. This is also Lupin's office yeah. at one time. And he's looking around at all like the accoutrement that Moody has mm-hmm. as an R. And one of the things is a sneakoscope, yes. which we've seen before. Yes. And that thing is whirring around on the table. He's kind of looking at it. And something very interesting is said by Moody. He says, oh, it's very sensitive. It picks up stuff from about a mile around. Yeah. Now, I don't know if he's talking about his specific sneakoscope or sneakoscopes in general. Right. But doesn't that change the game? Remember on previous episodes when we would run into the sneakoscope and we would yeah. say, I wonder what it's picking up on. Right. It could be picking up on any number of things. Definitely. And I mean, I definitely have the assumption that Moody's sneakoscope is probably the most powerful one available just knowing moody and who he is but you're absolutely right this isn't just like immediate vicinity stuff there's also a secrecy sensor that's kind of humming moody mentions that the sneakoscope and the secrecy sensor 
have just been going haywire since he got there. And he's like, you know, every kid is lying about why they don't have their homework. Like, of course, the secrecy sensor is going nuts. And he has the faux glass. The faux glass is kind of a cool concept. There's all these weird, like, apparition things floating around in it. And Moody says, like, oh, I'm not worried about it until what? Until I see. He says, I'm not really in trouble until I see the whites of their eyes. Then I open my trunk. So hopefully we'll learn what this is all about. Right. But I guess it's like enemies that he has and seeing if they're getting closer to him or something like that. Maybe like a Marauder's Map type of thing. I feel like it's in the same arena because it is something that does sort of speak to the location of other people. And Moody gives Harry some really good advice. Okay. And this is the first time we see Moody kind of like being a nice guy and being on Harry's side and not just being like a creep. (laughs) He says, remember, Harry, play to your strengths. Use a nice, simple spell that will enable you to get what you need. Yes. He's kind of like, I'm not going to help you because that's not fair. Wink. But... Play to your strengths. What are your strengths? And of course, Harry's like, I don't have any strengths. And Moody says one of my favorite lines, you've got strengths if I say you've got them. (laughs) (laughs) And Harry realizes, oh, light bulb. I'm a pretty good flyer. Yeah. Pretty good on a broom. Moody doesn't outright tell him, oh, well, then you need to use a summoning spell and, and summon your broom at the first test. But he says... You need something, you have a a wand, and you need something that's going to allow you to get what you need to be able to engage in your strength. Wink, wink, I cannot make it more obvious for you, bro. So it's a summoning charm. Yes. Right? And so Harry starts practicing. Mm -hmm. I've got to start practicing this summoning charm, which makes things come to you, like the remote. And you said yesterday you would love to have this. I would love to have the summoning charm. Because there are so many times I'm like, "Mm, I want that thing. I don't want to get up and get it. (laughs) And so Hermione helps him. Yes. And they work really hard. Yes. And it's not really going that great. Like some things will come to him, but then they drop in the middle of the room. And that's because he's having a hard time focusing and concentrating. Yes. I feel like in the movie, they better have a great montage right here. I was going to say, doesn't it seem like a Karate Kid montage? Yeah, I I was going to. I have in my notes, Karate Kid montage. (laughs) Totally. And like with this 80s music. Yes. Yes. One day love Love will will find you. Oh, some journey. And I love that Hermione is Mr. Miyagi here. Oh, God. Can we remake these movies, please? Yes. So he starts practicing and he gets kind of good at it. Yeah. He's getting it sort of, I think it's like shortly after midnight, he's finally getting it. We're like consistently every time he use, he says Accio, 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 and things are coming to him. That's good. Now, it's not clear if it's pronounced Accio or Accio. It's pronounced Accio in the movies. Mm-hmm. So I've always just said Accio. And also Accio sounds like ass. Sounds like bring, bring me that ass, girl. Bring me that ass. Accio, yo ass. Yeah. I don't that would like be that. useful for being in the club. Yes, it would. Damn, that girl's hot. Asio, that ass. <laughs> All of a sudden, she's like twerking in front of you. Oh, shit. I feel the need to clarify something. They don't take the owls every year, they only take the owls in year five. Yeah. 
So I just, because I, I know you've mentioned Harry doesn't have to take the owls. No, they don't have to take the end of grade the end of Exactly. Like what we call in the U.S. nowadays, the EOG. The EOGs, end of grade test. We didn't yeah. have that when I was a kid. Right. It, you know, whatever the end they of grade test. They were final exams, and they counted towards a certain percentage of your grade. Yeah. So they don't have to do that, but it's only fifth years that take the owls, the OWLs. That's just an important thing to know. A couple of other interesting things. I really liked this this mention of Harry's inner monologue that his anxiety lessened because he had something to focus on. Like, I really like that. I think the power of a project, the power of, you know, having one thing that you can sort of devote as much of your attention to as possible can make a lot of the kind of icky sort of feeling stuff like anxiety really lessen. And it was just like it was kind of it seemed like a nice little break for Harry. You know, to be like, yeah. okay, well, now I'm going to focus all of this nervous energy that I have because he's so anxious at this point. To me, it's gardening right now. Yeah. That's been for the past three weeks. Gardening has been my thing that takes away my anxiety or at least holds it at bay. Yes. Because I spend most of my day doting over my plants and Googling things about how to grow certain stuff and yes. adding fertilizer and watering and trimming. And it puts me in a better place than just laying in the house thinking about the world ending. Right. And I'm doing all of that virtually in Animal Crossing, which has become my thing. The big day arrives. November 24th. <sighs> Shit. The year of our Lord. The year of our Lord. Whatever year it is. <laughs> and McGonagall is the one who kind of comes and gets Harry. To take him down like it's time. And he's about to vom. This Ooh. is the feeling of five till places. And you're like, thank you. Oh, five. God, here we yes. go. Here we go. Places. And you're just about to walk out on stage. And mm. part of you is like, I would give anything to just be at my house right now. I and know. not be here. Why did I sign up for this? Why do I even do this? This I is horrible. Know. Oh, my God. So they take them all into this big tent. The tent is so big that it's blocking the view of. The dragon pen. Yeah. There's hundreds of people in the stands because these stands have been magically put up overnight. Uh, who's it? Bagman that comes in? Yeah. And has them pull a little statue or like a little figure, which like a little moving figure. God, I love that the toys move around. Yes. It's like the little Victor world. Crumb figure that yeah. Ron bought at the Quidditch World Cup. And of course, they have a number and that's the order you go in. And Harry picks the damn Hungarian horny toad. The Hungarian. Horntail. We thought they loved you up and turned you into a horny toad. We thought. <laughs> <laughs> Do not seek the treasure. <laughs> God, we need to watch your brother art thou again. So Fleur gets the Welsh green. She picks first. She's second in line, and her dragon's the Welsh green. Victor picks next. He's going third, and he gets the Chinese fireball. Cedric picks third, but he's going first, and he got the Swedish short snout. By the way, I would so want to be Cedric in this because I would absolutely want to just go first. And then Harry picks last, and he's going last, and of course got the Hungarian horntail. Yeah. Which, you know, one thing we didn't specifically mention in the conversation with Charlie is Charlie basically said, you know, I don't envy whoever gets this one because she's something else. You know, yeah, this is the pit bull of all the dogs. Definitely. She's got spikes on her tail and she breathes fire. I mean, it's just danger all the way around. So Harry, of course, gets the horn tail. And 
Harry's also pleased to see that the other champions look really nervous too. Like, I think he would have really felt terrible if he had walked in and they all were just like super pumped and looked really confident, but they all look super nervous. And so there's something about kind of sharing that kind of shared experience between everyone, or there's something about seeing other people nervous about the thing you're also nervous about that sometimes I think that makes us more worried, but it can also sort of relieve you of the shame of being nervous, (laughs) which is nice. Yeah. And right before everything begins and Cedric's about to go, Bagman kind of pulls Harry aside and he's like, yep, you got everything you need? You okay? I love an underdog. Do you need any tips? No one would know. It's very weird. Harry's like, no, I got it. I'm good. I got it. It's like, and Harry's like a little weirded out. But I mean, again, it's another adult pulling a child to the side. and be, I mean, like it's a little like, don't do that. So Cedric goes. The other three champions go in succession and Harry's just sitting there listening. He can't see what's going on. He just hears the cheers, the, the, you know, like all of these reactions of the crowd. And I mean, like, I'm sure your imagination is always worse than reality. So I'm sure like Harry's imagining these horrific things. And Bagman's also announcing. Yes. Like they don't give us any of that dialogue, but you know, Bagman's like, and he almost hits him with the tail and he's off. Oh, right. He's almost got the egg. He does not have the egg. Oh, here comes the fire. Like that sort of thing is going on. That's got to be nerve wracking too. I do not envy Harry during this time at all. I always think about this. I really love to watch boxing. Yeah. And when the boxers are like, they've been training for months, you know, they've done all their press and everything. They're in like the best shape of their lives and they're walking in and they know like they're nervous because this is their career. They want to do well. But they also know regardless, they are going to get the living shit pummeled out of them. Absolutely. And it's going to take them three months of recovery to even feel halfway normal after it. And so this is the type of nervousness that he has. Oh, God. He's walking into the prize fight. Does not sound fun. This is when that Eminem song needs to be playing for Harry. Lose yourself in the moment, the man and Palms are sweaty, mom's spaghetti. spaghetti. That's the only words we know to that song. Yeah. That, that is the entirety of the words Do we know. Do not lose your chance to blow. And now it's Harry's turn. He gets out there, successful Accio of his firebolt, and he's off. I just imagine the firebolt like flying out of the common room, down right. the stairs, through the portrait hole, down the hallway, out of the door, across the grounds, and then it right. just stops right at Harry's hand. Badass. Yes. It's so cool. He hops on it, zips up into the air. Yes. And we get another moment. We've had this since book one. When Harry is flying, he is not worried about a thing. When Harry is flying, he feels confident. He feels safe. He feels amazing. And we have one of the most beautiful lines. Ooh, tell me. In this book, in my opinion. Ooh. And I'll tell you why I think this. Okay. He says, it says, he realized that he had left not only the ground behind, but also his fear. He was back where he belonged. Yes. And this made me think so much about my life with roller coasters oh yeah so me my brother a lot of our friends are roller coaster enthusiasts matt from yorkshire who's a listener a lot of these people started riding roller coasters as teenagers as kids they've always loved them became enthusiasts as they got older and the internet came out and that sort of thing was not the case for tim and i i was in my mid to late 30s before I started riding roller coasters. Yeah. I had literally been on two roller coasters in my life. 
or three. I'd been on one when I was about eight years old, mind bender in Six Flags Over Georgia, scared the living crap out of me. <laughs> then when I was around 13 or 14, I rode the stand-up roller coaster Vortex at Carowinds, terrified to get on it, but kind of enjoyed it. Did it a few times with my dad, but didn't have really any interest in doing any other ones. Then I rode uh, Intimidator at Carowinds in my 20s with my friend Stephanie because I was half drunk. (laughs) It was terrifying. And so when I got back into roller coasters, I was way behind the curve of like me and my brother. We're like, we've always kind of been afraid of rides and afraid of heights and stuff. But we've always loved the idea of riding roller coasters and that sort of thing. A big part of it is just the anxiety of like waiting in line and the heights being that high up in the air. And as we were getting into the hobby, it was freaking scary. Like I had to convince Tim to go on a roller coaster that now we looking back on it, the lift hill was like 75 feet or something like child's play nowadays to us. Oh God. But the more that we rode them, the more that we enjoyed them, the more that we learned about them and got to do tours and go on these different coaster events and stuff, we learned a really valuable lesson in our lives. And that is you can overcome fear. You really can train your brain to put fear to the side. I know the first time that I ever went on Fury 325, 325 foot tall traditional lift hill. It was like, holy shit. Like halfway up, I'm looking down and I can feel my toes sweating. It's so freaking scary. Now we ride that same roller coaster and we have conversations about, so how's work going? Yeah, like that's pretty cool. You know, we're 300 feet in the air, like no big deal. Oh my God. Um, And the joy of it for us is that Tim and I had a different experience with roller coasters. We didn't fall in love with them at an early age. It was something that we had to really work on overcoming our fear of heights. And we did it through practice and through writing more and through enjoying it. We were able to put that fear behind us or at least tell our brain, hey, this is not something that is going to endanger our lives. This is something that we enjoy. And so now, I get like a little bit of butterflies of excitement before I ride a roller coaster. But when I sit in that seat, I feel so relaxed and so many worries and things go away. So now in with our roller coaster hobby, it's like not only do we leave the ground behind, but we leave our fear behind and we feel like we're back where we belong. Oh, that's so nice. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, my God, we don't get a coaster season. I miss my roller coaster friends. Oh, my God. I know. I mean, that's emotional. But what a beautiful piece of writing that oh, is. Yeah, it's He great. was back where he belonged. He was. He was doing his thing, the thing that he's good at. Definitely. He was playing to his strengths. He was. So what he uses is them Quidditch skills, though. Yes bobbing, weaving, trying to get the dragon to chase him, but then moving over here. Now, she doesn't want to leave those eggs, so she's not going to, like, fly up in the air, which she could, and try to get him. Presumably, maybe they're, like, chained up or something so they can't get away. 
Yeah, I mean, they I They can't think, just, like, get up and fly back to Albania or, or right. Romania like, I think or they, wherever. There's probably some room on that chain. But, yeah, I mean, at some point, I would think there'd be something in place that's stopping them from just leaving. Yeah. And he's finally able to do what he did with Malfoy, which is kind of redirect him away so that the dragon comes towards him and then he goes for the snitch. Which is the golden egg. Exactly. Boom. Right between the dragon's legs. Done. Grabs the egg. He finishes Whew. in the shortest amount of time of all yeah. four of them, which is amazing. It's just wonderful. And he gets it. I mean, he gets out of that with not just the golden egg, but all he got was, you know, he did get a little injury on his arm from the the tail of the dragon if i'm not mistaken kind of grazed his arm a little yeah. bit but i mean in the grand scheme of things he made it out of there relatively unscathed and you know of course he immediately has to go to the they've set up like madame pomfrey in a medic tent and of course she is like really disapproving of this whole thing yeah i would be too <laughs> yeah for sure and cedric is on the other side of the tent and she kind of mends harry's cut but tells him like he needs to stay there and Cedric's on the other side she goes and checks on him and in comes Hermione and Ron and so you know yeah Harry's on cloud nine from winning also he doesn't have the pit of despair of the anxiety leading up to this event anymore right so he's in a much more like fertile place for healing I think yes I love the way you put that and I just did Alexis Rose hands when I did that so Ron comes in and he's kind of like he's white as a sheet. And Ron's basically like, okay, I'm starting to think that someone put your name in the cup because they wanted you to be hurt. And Harry's, Harry's like, like, duh. You think? That's what I've been trying to say, man. Took you long enough. Yeah. And I love the moment where basically it says that right when Ron was about to apologize was the moment that Harry realized he didn't need an apology he didn't need to hear that he just wanted his friend back yeah and all is well yeah and then they just start going into like what was going on they, they're right back where they were ron's catching him up oh my god so this is what happened so floor like dipped to the left and the dragon tried to get her and oh my yes. god we thought she was gonna die and then she did this and they're back in their little thing yes you know what it made me think of what? these two having this conversation it made me think about our nephew and his best friend oh who god. recently had the little um, virtual sleepover. Oh my god! But you know the way they talk yes. when they're around each other, and they're both bouncing up and down. Yes, and they're both talking to each other, and they're cutting each other off, and they're talking about this, and they're just like so excited, and they're just so like in love with each other's friendship. Oh That's what god. it made me think of. I love that. That's so true. It does remind me of that. So just a, a little very quick rundown because this will inform our Hedwig's digital get down today how the different champions ended up getting their golden egg. So Cedric transfigured a rock into a dog and tried to get the dragon to go after the dog. And it kind of ish worked. I mean, he got the egg, but he also got burnt pretty badly, which is why like Madame Pomfrey is tending to him. Fleur used some kind of like sedation sort of spell. Ron didn't know what spell she used, but she essentially tried to like disorient the dragon but she too got i think it was her skirt caught on fire or something so i mean she yeah. you know kind of got a little bit i guess she's all right but and then victor hit the dragon with some kind of spell right between the eyes this is the part i really hated which caused it to trample all the other eggs which made him lose points but also i'm like please tell me those were fake eggs because otherwise she just trampled all of her children like it's just really gross 
then they get their scores. And of course, Kakaroff is like a biased, horrible judge, by the way. Bagman gives Harry a 10. And even Harry's like, why did I get a 10? Like I got cut on the arm. Like I, I it wasn't a perfect performance. Ron's like, dude, just go with it. Like stop complaining. So at the end of the day, Harry and Victor are tied for first place overall. So it's also stated in that moment that Harry doesn't really care about the scores. The fact that Ron is indignant on his behalf about Karkarov's low score is all he needed. I just love that line. Oh, my God. So I was kind of doing the math on the scores. Okay. And so Harry got a 10, right? From Bagman. From Bagman. Victor Crumb got a 10 from Karkaroff. Yeah. But Karkaroff gave Harry a four. Yeah. So for them to average the same, it seems like Victor and Harry did about the same, but that Victor was judged a little bit lower overall. Yeah. I mean, at this point, they only have the one task. So presumably, if they're going purely off of scores, if they were tied, they had to come up with an identical numerical score, right? I'm saying, I'm thinking oh, an average. Among the other judges. Victor, yes. Ah, I see what you mean. Yeah, so, so like it made okay. me wonder what the other judges gave Victor. I know. I was kind of doing the math, guessing like, okay, if they gave a seven for it to average out, Harry would have had at least a six. Yeah. Totally unnecessarily like nerd math. But it's, but that's an interesting point. Cause I mean, that's reading between the lines of information we don't get. But they're tied for first place, which is awesome. Yes. We find out that there is information that will help them with the second task in the egg. There's a clue in the egg or there's something they need to, you know, um, gain from what's in the egg that's going to help them out with the second task, which isn't happening until February. So they have some time. February 24th, exactly three months away. Three months is a long time. Three months is a long time. I mean, they had less than one month in between being announced as champions and this task because it was Halloween and then it was the end of November when they were doing the first task. So they have a lot more time. There's another piece of really beautiful writing that I love here. Yeah. You know how I've always said waiting to act is harder than acting. Yes. Ron said he would wait, so Harry re-entered the tent, which somehow looked quite different now, friendly and welcoming. He thought back to how he'd felt while dodging the horn tail and compared it to the long wait before he'd walked out to face it. There was no comparison. The wait had been immeasurably worse. I have my book open so that I could read the exact same thing. Oh, my God. The wait had been immeasurably worse than the actual thing itself. Absolutely. Here's what I take from that. I'm such a big fan of when the experience you're in seems so terrible and never ending and depression and anxiety feel so crushing. To remember the times in the past when you felt the same way and everything was fine. Right. And how quickly time goes by. And how quickly time goes by. Because Harry. Can't stop it. No, Harry's reflecting on this when things have gotten better. But what I would hope for Harry is that the next time he feels despair, to think back on this moment when he's reflecting, like, oh, I feel so much better right now. Yeah. 
I love that. Like planning for our wedding was excruciating. Oh, yes. And stressful. Uh, and we were so anxious. And we wanted time to slow down so we could get more things done. But we also wanted it to speed up so we could hurry up and get to it. Yeah. And then the wedding itself was like a blink of an eye. It was a blink. Yeah. It was so fast. But yeah, I mean, there's there's something. I think there's some good lessons in there with, you know, Harry's reflection. And then like you read... At the top of the show, at the very end of these two chapters, Rita kind of pops up at the end. They had seen her in Hogsmeade. And like you mentioned, anyone who's kind of visiting Hogwarts is staying in Hogsmeade. And Hermione's like, yeah, she's probably staying here yeah. because she's covering the first at the embassy suites. At the embassy suites, specifically. But she appears at the end. Harry has his sick burn and she goes away. Very, very eventful couple of chapters. Like, like you said, action-packed, but also like we learned a lot. There's a lot of new info. Really, the bulk of it comes from that conversation with Sirius. Yeah. There's a lot of info there that I feel like at from the if I kind of imagined myself as a first-time reader, I'd be like, ooh, this is all gonna be important. Mm -hmm. You know, this does not seem like throwaway information at all. He has this very short period of time with Sirius, and these are the things that J.K. Rowling chose to have happen in that conversation. There is no throwaway information yeah. in this series. There's also that. Yeah, there's no throwaway information. So brilliant. Well, what is Professor Kevlani seeing? Maybe, maybe with regard to that information, or maybe not? I don't know. What, what's in the crystal ball? In my crystal ball... It's a pretty simple prophecy, and it kind of has to do with Willy Wonka because everything oh. I talk about has to do with Godfather, Neverending Story, or Willy Wonka, sure. naturally. Or Back to the Future. I think that the Triwizard Tournament, at its heart, will prove to be not a test of magical ability, but a test of personal integrity. Ooh. The reason I bring up Willy Wonka is that the kids all win these golden tickets, yeah. right? And they're all going to get a tour of Willy Wonka's factory and that's the thing yeah that they do what they don't know is that wonka is actually trying to find his successor yeah who is going to take the factory over for him when he dies he's getting older he knows he can't do this forever he maybe yeah. he kind of wants to retire but the kids don't know that that's what's happening right and so you have augustus gloop his gluttony and greed gets to him he falls into the chocolate waterfall pond he gets sucked up through the pipe. The song happens. Yeah. Mike TV, you know, same thing. His hubris gets to him. He gets into the whole TV particle thing, and he's shrunk into a tiny little guy. You have Veruca Salt, who oh. throws her little temper tantrum and gets sunk down to the bad eggs. Yes. And then you have, you're turning Violet, Violet. Yes. And then Violet, because he's saying like, hey, don't touch that. And then they touch it anyway. Right. And then they pay the price. So the only person that ends up being left is Charlie Bucket. Mm -hmm. And now the way that Wonka has set it up, he's had Slugworth, who's a supposed competitor of Wonka, mm -hmm. who really works for Wonka, say, hey, man, when you get into that factory, do one thing for me. Grab me one of these everlasting gobstoppers. I want to reverse engineer this candy and see how, how he made it and like kind of get into his secrets. And at the very end... When Wonka kicks them both out, you stole fizzy lifting drink. You bumped into the walls, which now have to be clean and sanitized. Therefore, you forfeit your prize. Good day, sir. Yeah. And he kicks him and his granddad out of his office. And then at the last minute, Charlie Bucket turns around, takes the everlasting gobstopper out of his pocket and sets it on the desk. 
And Wonka turns around and he's like, Charlie, I'm so sorry I put you through this. My dear boy, you've done it. You've won. And it was a test of integrity. Yeah. It was let's bring these kids in here and let's find someone that has a pure heart and pure integrity and they win the ultimate prize. That's what I think the Triwizard Tournament is. To what end? Right. I don't know. But I don't think that it's about magical ability. What I think that we will learn is that it's a test of integrity. Harry already passed the first test. He told Cedric. Interesting. Interesting. And that was something that was observed, you know, by an adult too. that action. I have a question, though. What is the purpose of that terrifying river ride in Willy Wonka? The rowers keep on rowing. No, I know. And they certainly are not showing any signs that they are slowing. Okay, yeah. I don't don't want to think about it because it really freaks me out. Why? Why does that entire scene exist? What is the point? No clue. That movie freaks me out. Oh, and Grandpa Joe is a garbage human. The literal worst. Oh, I'm going to be stuck in bed until you get a golden ticket and now I'm fine. F that guy. Sorry, that's my, I really like your prophecy. I really do. Very good. Our Hedwig's Digital Get Down comes from a relatively new listener who reached out to us, Brixley. And Brixley wants to know what we would do to get past the dragon in the first task. What a cool name, Brixley. Isn't that cool? I like that name. Yes. From Texas. We love Texas. Do you know what city? Houston, I think. We need to go to Houston. Yeah. We spent a little time in Dallas, but I'd like to go to Houston too. Yeah, I say we love Texas. We've literally only been to Dallas, but we really liked I Dallas. I also want to go to Fort Worth and meet George Strait. Oh, okay. Does Fort Worth ever cross your mind? I'd really like to go to Austin. And bring Austin. Awesome Austin. We'll bring Awesome Austin with us. Yes. And we'll hang out with Brixley and it's going to be amazing. Absolutely. We're going to have so much fun. I, we do realize that Texas is very large and that all of these cities are pretty far apart from each other. But still, we're hoping we can make it happen anyway. So how would we get how past would we the get dragon? past the dragon? Oh, God. I know. I, remember, play to your strengths. I don't know what my strengths are. Play to your strengths. I'll go first. Okay. I feel like one of my strengths is... We're going to suspend our disbelief for a minute. But I feel like a strength that I have is I'm pretty good with children and animals. Like, I'm pretty good with them, right? I mean, like, animals tend to like me. They tend to trust me. And I'm pretty good at calming creatures like that down. You'd be like, come here, little I feel like I would make friends with the dragon. I would try to calm it and gain its trust before I stole one of its babies. (laughs) (laughs) That's horrible. But that would be that because if I play to my strengths, that's a big strength of mine is socialization just in general. I don't have a lot of strengths, but socialization is a strength of mine. So I would have to find a way to use that. How do you think I would get past the dragon? You are, as a true Ravenclaw, very logical. And I feel like what would get you through, and I don't know exactly what this would look like, but I feel like what would get you through this task would be your ability to think three and four steps ahead, because you are really good at that. You know, you're really good at conceptualizing kind of the bigger picture and looking at the individual pieces that like this is very likely to lead to this outcome and this will probably lead to this outcome and then sort of executing that. 
I think I would do my research. Yeah. I think I would try to see how long is that chain? How far can they actually walk? How fast can dragons turn around? Yes. You would look at all, all the individual data points that kind of go into that. You'd, you'd look at all the variables. We are very different people. We are. That's why we work. Absolutely. Thanks, Brixley. We like that. That's a cool yes. question. Yes. And thanks for becoming a listener. Yes. Yeah. We're so happy to meet you. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. We'll put you in our giant religious painting. Yes, we will. Oh, my God. Absolutely. We haven't brought up that painting in a while. My fresco. Your fresco. Your, your opus. I'm up first with marriage lessons. My marriage lesson comes from Mad-Eye Moody. Right after the end of the first task, and remember it was Moody's advice that kind of got Harry through, you know, with that light bulb. But Moody comes up to Harry and says, nice and easy does the trick, Potter. This reminded me of one of my favorite things, which is Occam's razor. I'm sure I have brought this up on the show before. I love Occam's razor, which is this, I guess it's a philosophy. It's a philosophical principle that says the simplest solution or explanation is usually correct. And Moody's this kind of great reminder of like nice and easy does the trick. Most of the time, the solution to your problem or the explanation to your question is going to be the simplest possible explanation or solution. The way that this informs my marriage lesson is that I also think this is really hard for us to see within the lens of our own experience of a problem. Like if we're facing a problem or a question and it's affecting us the most, and I'm using the universal us, it's affecting Mm -hmm. one the most, then one has a tendency to not be able to see that clear and simple solution or answer. And so what better way to be able to use Occam's razor than to be able to step in for that other person and say, you're my partner in life. I'm going to Occam's razor the shit out of this. (laughs) Here's the solution to your problem. Yeah. You do this for me a lot. (laughs) Right. Well, and you do this for me too, because I think as human beings, it, it is really hard to see that clearly when it's you in question. I don't know anyone who does that well all the time. And so It's great to be in a partnership and do this for each other. But like so many of our marriage lessons, I also think this is a great thing for us to try and do to the people who are close to us in our lives. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we go up and give unsolicited advice to everyone because that's also that's horrible. That's like the the worst end of the spectrum. But I'm saying like in a partnership, I'm going to give you my advice if I have it. And I hope you'll do the same for me. Right. So. Yeah, that's my marriage lesson. Occam's razor, the shit out of it for each other. Sweet. Awesome. What's your marriage lesson? So mine also comes from Moody. Ooh, okay. And it goes back to what we were talking about before, play to your strengths. Yes. I think it's important for us, and I have found this to be true in our relationship, and especially since we've been married, to play to your own strengths to be there for your partner. What are the things that you're good at what are the things you're not so good at and just play to your strengths so the challenges that we're facing right now is that we're literally around each other all the time which we don't have a problem with no we're fine we've been together a long time but we have to we're going to be working together starting on monday we're going to be co-workers yes so we're going to be working together we're both dealing with 
stress in our personal lives, you know, that have to do with personal family things, but we're also dealing with the stress of this virus and the global impact and the loss of life and all of this stuff. And there are certain things that I'm better at than other things. The one thing that I can always do is I can always make you laugh. Yes. That's one of my strengths in this relationship is that no matter how you're feeling, I can pretty much always (laughs) make you laugh. Yes. Also, you really love my cooking. I love your Or you claim to. No, I really do. I legitimately do. So I know how to cook things and make you treats that make you really happy. (laughs) And I know how to make you laugh. Yeah. And so... I've been trying to focus on those things yeah. during this crisis. Yeah. And your strengths are like the Occam's razor thing. You're really good at having someone who's like in a tizzy, which I'm generally in some sort of tizzy, <laughs> right? I'm just an anxious person overall. You're really good at leveling me out, presenting the facts, and bringing me back down to square one. Yeah. And so that's your strength. And so I think in a marriage... You're not, no one's perfect. No one has all the answers. It's good to just play to the strengths that you have and rely on that stuff. You don't have every skill in the world. Right. So just do the things that you're good at. I love that. You've got strengths if I say you've got them. Yes. (laughs) And can we also talk about the fact that like a true Hufflepuff, the key to my happiness is food and laughter? Yeah. (laughs) Nash. Oh, love it. And me as a Ravenclaw, I'm like, show me the logic behind my anxiety before I'll calm down. Oh, my God. So true. For our Marauder shout outs today, I'm excited about this one. Oh, God. I want to know that if each of our Marauders had these secrecy sensors in their office, Mm -hmm. what are the kinds of things that would make them go off for our Marauders? So what are the things that would trigger each marauder's secrecy sensors so they're they're honed into who they are these secrecy sensors and so first up i'm going to try and and start you off with an easy one since this is a little bit of a thinker yeah so let's start off with let's start off with josh bailey he's the one on this list that you know that you're the closest to so let's start with him josh bailey his would pick up on any sort of factual bullshit Yes. Fake news. Yeah, that type of thing. Like Rita Skeeter's crap or something that's just historically inaccurate. Yes. Josh's thing would just go off. Absolutely. Heather Bevels. Oh, Heather Bevels. Um, I think hers would be like stage manager focused. So she would know if someone is lying about being late to rehearsal. She would also know if you're actually off book or not. Yes, she would. Oh, my God. Okay, how about awesome Austin Scroggins? Awesome, Austin. You would not be able to lie about your age anywhere around Austin because he's young and he knows based on the things that you say. Like if I said something was P-H-A-T fat, he would be like, oh, yeah, you're totally 41. You're not 31. Oh, my God. I love it. Kelly Moore. She would know that Tom is actually at Kentucky Kingdom and not at work. (laughs) Jennifer Ayers. Jennifer Ayers would be able to tell if you try and if someone was trying to act like they're smart, that they're actually an airhead. Oh, I love that. How about Dean Heath? Oh, Dean, it would have to do with um, 
he would know about the NFL draft. <gasps> like who's actually going where? I love like, it. Like is Cam Newton going to end up being QB mm. for the Patriots? <gasps> so his is Something a little like bit that. future focused. Yeah. Love it. He would know if like ESPN was bullshitting about the NFL draft. Fantastic. How about Brianne Brown? Brianne Brown. Double B. Double B. She can tell if people are brown nosing their way <laughs> into like being buddy buddy with the teachers at Hogwarts. Fantastic. How about Samantha Tillman? Sammy Tills. She would know that Nick was lying to her about going to the bada bing with the boys. <laughs> she would know if your BAC is over 0.09. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of Nikki Two Tills, what about Nikki Two Tills? Nikki doesn't need this because he always freaking knows if you're lying to him. Right. Because he's got his ear to the street. It's fucking human. So he knows if you're going to freaking backstab him. Yeah. If you're lying, I don't know, Nikki, listen, man, I'll get you your money. It's just that, like the, the IRS came and took my money. No, you got the money. You know you got the money. It's fantastic. <sighs> Natalia Ward. The warden? Yeah. She would have like a forensic mind about like criminality. Yes. Like, oh, I can tell. She would be like a good FBI Definitely. person. She can interrogate people and know, yeah, you're bullshitting about this. I know that you were like doing some illegal arms trading or something. Oh, you're going to Azkaban, pal. You're going downtown. How about Faith Kenfield? Faith. Faith can pick up on self-doubt. Ooh! Oh! And then she would show up for you and say, "Hey, I know that you're acting really confident right now, but my secrecy sneakoscope went off, and oh I can tell God. that you have a lot of doubt, and I think you need to have more faith in yourself." Oh, that's so nice, Caitlin Dismuke. Here we go, Katie Dismuke. Yep. Um, she could totally. They wouldn't even have to run the tape back during basketball games. She would know if you were traveling, if your <laughs> foot was over the three point line. Technical fouls, flopping, that sort of thing. You know, the shot clock runs out, and yep. sometimes they have to run it back and be like, was the ball still in his hand before the shot clock ran out? She needs no shot clock. No. She just knows. No, not the coach. Vicky Gutherless. Tricky Vicky? Yeah. She knows if you're trying to trick her. Absolutely. She's, she's got such a good radar for that. And finally, how about Ben Clark? Ben Clark. Yeah. Ben Clark basically... His secrecy detector that would go off is if you're totally bullshitting because you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Because I think Ben's the type that would be like, mm, actually, that's not true. Right. According to the UN charter put forth in 1997. He's got the that data. That is against international law and is punishable. I freaking love that. And I love our marauders and all of our patrons and all of you listening. You're all part of our family. End of show announcements and then dad jokes. And mine this week is really bad. It's really bad. Ugh. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Fox and the Foxhound. Follow us on Twitter at Fox and Foxhound. No these or those. <laughs> no these or those. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. Also check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Fox and the Fox Hound with different tiers and all sorts of fun little goodies for all the various tiers, as well as our website, thefoxandthefoxhound.com, where you can find past show notes, marriage lessons, prophecies, more about us, you know, all of that kind of thing. Special thanks to our manager of mischief and sometimes minister of magic, 
and sometimes bartender and sometimes awesome dude, actually all the time awesome dude, Josh J.B. Bailey. And special thanks to our composer, such a talented young man, Judson Hurd. Check him out on JudsonHurd.com, J-U-D-S-O-N-H-U-R-D.com. Who has been pretty active lately yeah. during the... Um crisis he's been putting out a lot of stuff and throwing a lot of links so definitely check him out on social media yeah he's also got instagram and and a facebook page so definitely check him out if you need really calming piano music justin has you covered literally for weeks he definitely does and finally send us your questions you can send those through email to the fox and the fox sound at gmail.com you can send out a written question or you can actually send us an audio clip and we'll play it on the show You can send us a question through social media direct message. So Facebook Messenger, direct message on Instagram or Twitter. Both of those are fine. Or you can call our Hedwig's Digital Get Down phone line, which you're not going to get an actual person. It'll just ring and you'll get a voicemail and leave your question there. And it's 910-297-8065. That is a U.S. number. So just be aware of that. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to make you go first with the dad joke. Did you hear about the Ministry of Magic official that just refused to come watch the Triwizard Tournament? No. He said it just wasn't his bag, man. Oh. Oh, God. Okay, so both of our dad jokes are terrible. No, I actually kind of like that one. Mine's in a similar style. Did you hear about the time I tried to get some professors to go to the three broomsticks with me? No. What happened? I asked Mad-Eye, but he's too moody. I know. I know. I know. I was going to say something about how the Triwizard Tournament, the first task was exciting. No, I, I would have been really disappointed in you. You, by the way, look a little disappointed in me about my joke. I feel like you're judging me a little bit. Um, maybe next week. <laughs> maybe this wasn't your week. It's okay. We can't, have a, we can't win them all. Well, we will see you next week. We won't see you. That's just a, a turn of phrase. We, if you're on Zoom chat, we might see you next Zoom week. If you're on Zoom chat, we might see you next week. That's so exciting. We can't wait to do that. So just a reminder again, if you want to do that, just please, you know, touch base with us somehow. We'll get you on our list. And we can't wait to talk with the folks we've already heard from. Yes. And we have heard from some people in the medical community yeah. throughout the crisis who are putting their lives at risk and busting their asses to make this world a better place and to save lives. And you guys are heroes. Oh, all of you. Absolutely. Every single one of you, you're all heroes. You know, the essential workers, the people in the medical profession. I'm, every day, I'm more and more blown away by the absolute relentless dedication of the medical professionals yeah. in this world. Definitely. I mean, it's the most selfless group of people. Like, it's braver than walking into the arena with the dragons. Mm-hmm. It's braver than facing Voldemort face to face. You are an actual hero. You're yeah. an actual, real-life, magical hero. And if it wasn't for you, our world would crumble right. into nothing. You're right. holding this globe up. Mm-hmm. With your mighty freaking hands, and we respect you, and we love you so much. Yes, we do. And everyone else, keep smiling. Yeah. Keep hanging on. Yeah. Connect with your friends. Zoom chat with everyone. Yeah. And just have faith. You gotta have faith, the faith, the faith, the baby. If yeah. I could touch a broomstick, oh. I know not every wizard has a broomstick like you. Ooh, but oh. I guess it would be nice if I could fly that firebolt away. Oh, 
that's good. See what he does on the spot, just like makes up songs. I don't, I really envy that. So, I mean, that would be maybe your, your strength with the dragon is maybe you'd make up a song and lure it away with song. Okay, until next week. Bong Sewer. SEO Beer. <laughs> <laughs>